Welcome to the Flow State Performance Podcast. Created for those committed to mastery and success. Coming to you from Manly, Australia, we break down the science and philosophy of optimal performance so you can unleash your potential. Welcome, guys. I'm here today with Zulu Flow Zion, who, who is a uh, Qigong instructor, a Nagong instructor, and also a mindful uh, peak performance coach. So, a mindfulness coach and a peak performance coach. Welcome, Zulu. Howdy. How are you, Dior? Very good, man. Very good. Help us help us set the scene. Where where are you doing today? Where are you today? And how have you found your flow today? Oh, I've found my flow amazingly. I'm actually sitting, uh, at looking at the ocean. I'm in Bernie in Tasmania, and I am looking at the ocean. And I'm I'm looking out. I'm up high on a hill in in Bernie, and yeah, it's just the most beautiful imagery in front of me. I'm seeing mountains in the distance and. A lot of a lot of ocean in front of me, so yeah, it's it's hard to be out of flow when there's such beauty around you. <laughs> wow, man, that's amazing. I hear good things about Tasmania. I've never been. Yeah, yeah, it's stunning down here, man. The the air is fresh. The there's lots of beautiful nature to be surrounded by. The the chi is strong, as yeah. as uh, the masters always say. The more tree, the more chi. Yeah. I guess there's whole, a whole load of forest there. It's basically just like National Park, right? It's like 60% National Park or something yeah, down here. So it's just you can't get away from the beauty. It's quite amazing, actually. Nice, man. That's awesome. And coming from, coming from Melbourne, I've, I've spent the past 10 years in Melbourne in a big city of 5 million people. And moving here, I've been here for two months now. And there's 7,000 people in, in this town. So... It's a big shift, a big wow, change. Wow, so it's so, fresh, uh, man. It's fresh. It's just, it's just super, two months. It's super fresh. Wow. So you, um, I remember when, because I've lived in like eight different countries in the world, and, and there's a concept uh, called reverse culture shock. And often when you move, you move somewhere and like you're all about it, all you can see is the epicness and everything's fresh. And then there often comes sort of like this dip where you're just like, oh, now I'm missing this and I'm missing the coffees and I'm missing this. And how, how are you going on your path? Well, I luckily don't drink coffee. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I feel that if, if I did drink coffee, I would probably miss that because there's definitely no really amazing coffee down here. So I've heard. Yeah. And yeah, well, I don't, I'm not looking to sort of, uh, you know, diss the big cities or anything. It's but. It is quite refreshing to be in a place where it's a lot calmer and more relaxed and, you know, there's not so much going on. You know, it, there's, there's a time and a place to have, have all of that stuff going on and it's, it's beautiful to, to know that any night of the week, any day of the week, there's something amazing going on in the big cities, which there is. But down here, while I'm down here, I'm quite focused on what I'm doing. So I'm studying my... Uh, my master's degree. I'm I'm working on my business. I'm building a movement. I'm hanging with my family, and that's pretty much my main three focuses. So it's really refreshing to not have the distraction of the big city around me. It's it's, it's one of the best things about sure, being man. here, actually. Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna ask you about about the impact that it's had on your on your personal practice because you just I guess that's that's the thing. Like you remove distractions and you find more flow. That's certainly been the experience of my life so um have you felt that same kind of vibe yeah a million percent <laughs> i feel like beyond a hundred percent it's yeah. like it is 
definitely true. There's so many distractions, so many temptations, so many so many choices that you have to make. Like you, you don't even realize that you have to sort of make a choice to ignore all the stuff that's going on. Like if you walk down the street, there's 10, 20, 30, 50 restaurants or bars or cafes to choose from. Your brain actually has to to choose. All right, do I do I want to go there? Do I, you know the smells of the food that you're walking past? Do, do I want to actually go towards that and take that? Your brain actually has to filter it out. So it's actually quite taxing on your focus. And and being down here, yeah, I'm just pretty much here overlooking the balcony and looking at the ocean and not going out too much. And there's not really any options. If there, if I did want to, I could, but it's not really where I'm at at the moment. So it's really nice to to not even have to deal with that. Yeah. Like yeah. like I said in in Melbourne, it's not necessarily if you even if you didn't want to in Melbourne, there's always someone saying, "Hey, I'm going to this, I'm going to that," or there's always some sort of you know if, if you're walking down the street, you're bound to see 50 bill posters or about gigs that are on this weekend. You just on the walk to the you know to the market or whatever it is. Yeah, it always amazes me how how, how different we are. Like I've got I've got friends of mine who who feel like they would go crazy like living in a, in a rural place and they just thrive living in cities like Hong Kong and London whereas for me I, I just couldn't wait to get out of places like like London and Hong Kong um, because they mm. you know I, I felt the mental clutter I you know I sort of I sort of absorbed um, that that energy of franticness from cities mm. what is it in people do you feel that allows them to have a completely opposite reaction to, to living in, in really hectic places um, a lot of it would be from upbringing and where you're, where you're naturally, like, say, if you were born in the city, you will naturally, your vibration and your energy is going to naturally feel more at home in, in, a, in a big city, mm. uh, having, you know, the comfort, having everything at hand, you know, having those things that I was talking about, having a, a bar to go to, a coffee to drink, a, a gig to see, uh, some sort of entertainment, some everything at hand if you need a if you, <laughs> I had an experience the other day where I was looking for a for a microphone for just to, to record videos and I called up the local shop I'm like hey do you have these microphones and they're like oh we've had them a few years ago I don't think we've stopped them anymore <laughs> you know something quite simple like that like you just have those things you don't have to actually worry about them so to not have those things like what uh, some people might need is can freak people out of it. You know, some people need that coffee. They need that kind of socialization. They need that stuff. They, or they feel they need it anyway because they're so used to it. So when they go to rule and don't have that at hand, they can get anxiety and they can get stressed out from, oh, no, I don't have everything that I quote-unquote need um, right at hand, you know. So that, that yeah, can sure. freak people out a little bit. And, sure. and for me, I was, I was, I personally was born in, in Jamaica. I was born like under mango trees in, in the middle of the jungle overlooking the ocean, which is, so I'm quite at home, you know, in, in Jamaica, it's kind of how you call third world or whatever, you know, like we have running water in my town for half the day. You know, we don't have hot water at all. Um, you know, there's, there's quite a level of, you know, poverty going around over there. So it's, I'm sort of all day. So it's what you're used to, you know. So I, I find me personally, I'm most at home when I'm in the hills overlooking the ocean. That's it. You know, my, my body and my, my being resonates with. Fair enough, man. At the same time, when I was when I was four years old, I moved to the city. So I, I've had the experience of living in the different kind of 
environment. So I'm, I can quite, I can adapt quite easily and quite uh, flowingly. I, I feel at home anywhere. Cool, you know, man. For people who haven't had that experience of moving around, it might freak them out a little bit. Yeah, sure, man, sure. Talk to me about this movement that you're building, Zulu. Mm. The movement, the mindfulness movement, basically. Mindfulness. Um, oh, where should I start? Um, well, I'll take it way back. I'll take it way back to sort of, I'll tell you a bit about my background. So growing up, I didn't have any real structure or stability growing up. So and I had to figure a lot of stuff out for myself. So because I didn't have any real role models and I was moving from here and I'm moving from place to place, moving from city to city, you know, house to house, school to school, all that sort of stuff. And uh, at a very young age, I'll say a fairly young age, maybe I was 15 years old, I was living in a place uh, just outside of Byron Bay, which is the most easterly point in Australia, a beautiful place. And that was when, I guess, my personal development kind of journey started at, at a, yeah, 15 years old was the first time I really got into this thing called Qigong. And it's funny the story how I got into that actually it was, I don't know if you've heard of a, a cartoon on TV called Dragon Ball Z. Yeah. Yeah, you have. So if any, I don't know if anyone listening to this has heard of it or not, but, and it's a cartoon where there's like, these guys called Saiyans, which are these otherworldly guys that look like humans, but they've got superpowers basically. And they, they can build energy balls and shoot energy balls at each other and they can fly and all sorts of crazy stuff. And when I watched that, I was like, oh, at that age of 15, I used to draw them a lot. I used to, you know, be really into them and was like, yeah, that's awesome. And this was around the time when the internet was starting to, to take off, you know, like things like Napster were around and, you know, Internet Explorer was quite around then, around the 2000 mark. You know, the internet was getting new, so I decided to go, you know, I typed energy ball into the internet and uh, I, I found a few articles. There was not that many articles at the time about what this thing was and I found this thing called Marshall Key, who was this website, Marshall K-I, um, which was the initial name that I that I heard of Chi. It's the Japanese uh, pronunciation or the equivalent of chi in yep. Japanese. And and it was giving me basically all the chi, chi building, energy building exercises. And, and, it, and it was giving me these practical things I could practice to build these energy balls that I was seeing on this cartoon. I was like, and it was the first time I had an experience of feeling my energy, feeling chi flowing through my hands and my body and, and cultivating it. And that was, that just got me super excited. And that was, uh, you know, I'd have competitions with my one of my good friends who's who was totally into it as well, and and we were having like horse dance competitions and things like this. Who could hold the horse dance the longest <laughs> and, and and hold these poses at this young age? So that was the introduction to like mindfulness and you know being still and feeling energy. So that's all, that's been with me since then. So and it wasn't necessarily something I took because I didn't have any kind of masters or anything to teach me. I was just like going off the internet. And so that was, I guess, my introduction to it. So after that, you know, I was just sort of semi kind of practicing here and there, not that much. And when I was about 21, I moved to Melbourne. And that's when, oh, sorry, I was at the same age, that was sort of my personal development journey as well. I, I read a book called 
what was it called? Unlimited Power by Tony Robbins. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so that was my first personal development book that I've read. And that was like, again, started my journey, started, you know, opening my mind over, okay, there's all this potential inside of it and all these cool things you can do to, you know, something that I still use to this day, which is the one, four, two breathing, ratio breathing, which I still use to this day for the last 15 years of my life. Where What I read, it's something that I took from that book. And, you know, so that sort of was opening my mind to the, to the journey of, okay, bettering myself and, mm. you know, developing energy, I had that sort of taste of it. And then when I moved to Melbourne and I, I actually started coaching in Melbourne. So it's, it's a long story and it's all, it's all, you'll see how it all ties together. But at 21, I started coaching. I was doing, initially I was doing dating coaching. So helping guys who are, you know, socially anxious and awkward, you know, growing up in Byron Bay, I was just a social butterfly. So I, I knew I had that part of my life sorted. I knew how to interact with socially and you know, meet people, meet women and, and create social circles and, yeah. and all, all of that. So that was my initial foray into coaching. I was like, okay, people, people, there's a need for this out there. People need, are wanting to, to learn stuff and, and be coached in, you know, areas where they have anxiety socially. And one of the, one of the tools, one of my business partners at the time, a guy named James Marshall, He's a, he's a good friend of mine to this day. He he was a guy who spent a lot of time in China, similar similar to uh, you know lots of lots of people I know. A lot, a lot of the coaches, a lot of people in personal development and industry have actually spent a lot of time doing sort of martial arts and and this sort of you know mindfulness stuff, which which is I found it's a common trait. People either meditating. You know, people who are doing awesome stuff and giving in the world, a lot of the traits I found is that they either meditate or done some sort of martial kind of art or energy cultivation exercise like a yoga or something like this. And he put me on to a thing called Vipassana meditation. Yeah. And so that was my first, first sort of like really delving deep into meditation, you know, insight meditation, which... Yeah, so just for the uh, listeners, yeah. so, so, so I'll just explain. So Vipassana meditation is as an intense 10-day uh, silent uh, meditation retreat that you can do in many places around the world. Um, and it's basically based on a Buddhist technique uh, called Vipassana, uh, which is basically like mindfulness meditation. Yeah, it's an insight meditation. It's observing the breath, observing the nature of the present moment of whatever's going on now with, without having any judgment of it sort of neither here nor there and and that was my first foray and I loved that as soon as I did that I was in love with that process when I got out of it I was like wow this should be taught in school this is you know this is like why doesn't everyone do this why isn't this mandatory you know this is an amazing thing that that I've been put onto and ever since then that's sort of turned up the dial on my mindfulness journey I guess so since then I've done five 10-day courses and a few few uh, shorter courses as well and for the past so again fast forwarding so fast forwarding a little bit to about 2010 I met a guy named Ryan Nasser who I'm pretty sure you know as well yep and he sort of got me back onto my Qigong journey because he was like fully into the Qigong and Mei Gong and and he showed me some Nei Gong and, I, and that just took my chi and my energy and my effectiveness, not just my 
my ability to to deal with life's challenges and and stuff that comes up in life, but also you know being more focused, being more productive, you know, really boosted my creativity and my ability to actually get stuff done in the world. So that excited me as a coach. <laughs> you know, I was like, wow, this can turn up productivity and and you know realizing more potential, which is what I'm all about. Which is like I've found that that is my calling is to to help people to realize more of their full potential. If I'm doing that, I feel like I'm in flow, like you mentioned before, flow. I feel like I'm here, I'm fulfilling my purpose, I feel like I'm on par. And so when I found that Qigong, so I'm like, wow, this, you know, I started teaching and I'm like, I need to teach this stuff, I need to get deep in. And I I got set a, a challenge by Ryan. He said, do 100 days in a row and then, and then we can talk about you teaching this stuff. And the first time I, I tried that, I tried to do 100 days in a row. I, I got to day 50, and then I missed a day. <laughs> and I was like, Did he make again. you go back to zero? <laughs> yeah, <it's> right again. <laughs> and, and, and I was so I was so pissed off, man. I was like, my goodness, I can't believe I was just, I was almost beyond the point of no return. You know, 50 is like, all right, now we're on the home stretch. So I got I got really pissed off, and... It was like I just made this commitment. I said I'm going to do 100, whether I like it or not. Ended up doing like 287 days in a row, in, all throughout winter as well. So I was doing it outdoors in the middle of the Melbourne winter. Um, every single day, rain, uh, sleet, snow, whatever you know, freezing temperatures. And it was funny the story around that because Ryan Ryan visited me and I, I said, "Come out the backyard." And I'm, I'm going to show you something. And I just showed him the spot where I'd been standing for 200 odd days in a row. And, and he saw in the grass, all the grass in the backyard is nice, green, luscious. And then the spot where I was standing was <laughs> two blank, two, two blank spots of, of dirt. <laughs> and he was like, he was like, okay, to, you know, well, <laughs> you were <Yeah>. serious. <laughs> you got some proof. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, so... So that changed my life. But when I, when I did that, in terms of changed my life, it just made me more integrated as a whole. It made me more effective, more you know sensitive, open, compassionate, and aligned. I just feel more aligned on all levels. So in in all areas of my life, I was just more effective, more present, uh, you know, healthy. I didn't get sick all throughout that time. Felt strong like I'd never felt before. So you know, I was teaching at the same time as well. And I was doing a lot of music. So again, there's, there's little parts here. There's, I was doing, I'm a rapper as well. I've been doing rap music for, you know, I've been rapping for sort of 15 years and actually out performing for about the last five or six years or even longer, eight years probably. And that's, it's funny because that's like my name's Zulu Flow. <laughs> you know, Flow, as I rap, it's Zulu Flow. Yeah. And... You know, how even talking to you now about the flow and, you know, how the flow's been coming back into my life. And I've created this thing called the flow zone, which is, it's the movement you were getting back to the point of, it's the flow zone movement, which I'm, which I'm, which I'm sort of championing and, and sort of allowing to come through me. And it is how, you know, it's funny that rapping is like my whole style is about the flow. You know, it's all about being in the flow. I love freestyling. You know, I'll write a set and I'll always incorporate it. A freestyle element where it's just free flow and not pre pre rehearsed. 
Yeah. And it's just interesting how that theme keeps coming back into my life. It's like this flow is going to come through me whether I like it or not. Like I'm writing a book at the moment called The Flow Zone and it's about that concept of flow. And there's a, there's, I don't know if you've heard of a guy named Nehi Chikson Nehi. Yeah, man, you can't not be aware of him if you study flow. <laughs> so, so it's funny that I'd never, I'd heard of this guy, but I'd never knew about what he really did until three months ago. A guy named James Skelkos told me about this guy and just gave me a basic breakdown of what, what he's all about. And this yeah. is literally only three months ago. And it's interesting that me being flow for 15 years, <laughs> never heard about the other. <laughs> yeah, that <laughs> dude's, that dude's like the granddaddy of flow. <laughs> So it's interesting that we only cross paths now. So yeah. it's and it's yeah. There's a lot of alignment with what I've been doing, you know. And I've, I've realised that the flow is going to always going to come through me, whether I like it or not, you know. Absolutely, man. Sounds like your destiny is to be a warrior of the flow. Yeah, exactly. So it's kind of cool, and the, and the, the movement now. So I so talking about the the music that that sort of was a deviation on my path but I feel like it actually gave me the skills and requisite sort of experiences that I needed in order to get to be where I am now and that is I don't know if you've heard of a guy named John D. Martini Dr. John D. Martini yeah yeah I'm familiar with him and he he talks a lot about values and your hierarchy of values and I, I did a uh, one of his breakthrough experiences early last year and that was after a good six years of being on my musical journey and he talks about this concept of uh, aligning your lives with your highest values and he has this value determination process and and you you just look at your life and realize what's showing up in your life in all different areas where do you spend your time where do you spend your energy where do you spend your money where do you what do you think about what do you talk about all these different areas and and you just get a sense of actually what's showing up in your life. And for me, I'd focused on music and building a, a career in music and building my skills in music and building my skill sets, mindsets, behaviors, habits, all of that around music. And when I did this process, I realized that music was total, way down on my hierarchies. It wasn't anywhere near the top. The things that were on the top of my, my values hierarchy was coaching, it was writing, it was connecting with people and connecting people to people, you know, building kind of social groups. And it was sports, sports and fitness, health stuff. And music was way down. And then, and then that sort of, I had the penny drop moment where I was like, ah, oh, no wonder it's so hard for me to go and rehearse. <laughs> no wonder it's so, every time before a gig, I'm just cursing. I really don't want to go to this gig. You know, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And, when I when I had that experience, I just totally shifted and rearranged my life to then make sure that I'm doing everything focused on coaching, on yeah. sports, on wow. fitness, on, on 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 writing. And I totally shifted my life and aligned with that. And see how then, good is that? But that's felt... that's self awareness, right? That's developing self awareness, which is just 100%. so so foundational, is it? So so is, so presumably a former um, a former you did have music at the top of his hierarchy. And, and I'm assuming that, um, yeah, your, your basic, your, your value set or your self-awareness hadn't quite caught up to your evolution. Yeah. 
How it feels like it was almost an injected value in terms of it felt like when when I did decide to do music, it wasn't really like, yeah, I'm going to do music. It was like, oh, yeah, that's a, that's a nice idea. I might do that. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then I decided, then I decided, all right, it's a nice idea. I may as well do it properly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man, it's, I went, such, I went it's, in. it's such a major point because I, I just feel, I just see when I look around out there, I just see so many people, you know, questing after things, doing things, striving after things. And, uh, you know, without that level or that, that deep work, without um, really getting clear on their values hierarchy. And, you know, I, th- I think this is why we have midlife crises and why we have, you know, a lot of the social breakdowns that we have is because people reach a stage where they realize they've been chasing after the wrong thing. Um, so, yeah, I, I just 100%. think that's such a super valuable point right there. 100%, which actually is, you know, it does bring me, there's a few things that I feel are super important, like the importance of having a purpose or an, or a, and an idea of where you want to go, I think this is something that comes up a lot in my work because in my coaching work working with hundreds of people a lot of people don't know what they want that's like the main thing what do you want <laughs> I say, what do you want and there's this vague kind of response you know and I'm like all right let's get really clear this is a it's a concept of Napoleon Hill calls having a chief definite aim you know if you have that chief aim you know where you're going it's like you can throw your grappling hook onto that thing and then you just allow that what it grabs onto that chief definite aim to pull you towards it. There's no real effort involved once you once you clearly define what it is you want. And you know, if you know why, sort of why you're on here. So for me again it's that movement that you talked about, I actually want to be a catalyst and inspire a ridiculous amount of people, five hundred million people to take up a daily practice. Nice, and that's man. my chief definite aim. That's that's where I'm going and that's what my movement's all about. And and so then knowing what to do sort of becomes it becomes a no brainer. It's like, all right, what do I need to do to get there? You know, so the first thing I need to figure out is what do I want? That's my vision and you know, what's important about it to me and what's important to me in the first place, you know, coaching, that's the value stuff, you know, coaching, writing, you know, making sure I'm fulfilling my values in that way. And then how to get there becomes so it's a no-brainer once you clearly define where you want to go because you're like, all right, it's basic. How do what's the next step? What's the next step? What's it going to take to get there? Um, another, another thing to be aware of as well is what's what's going to be stopping you. You know, what's going to possibly get in the way or be obstacles. And the final part of the puzzle is also knowing how what's it going to look like. Well, how will I know that I'm successful in getting towards there? So having sort of some sort of measurement set up in in, in it. And that's like a basic coaching kind of outline. And a lot of people don't ask themselves those questions. What do I want? <laughs> What's important about it? Uh, you know, how am I going to get there? You know, and again, I think the importance of having the chief definite aim and clearly defined on that, it almost makes those steps of how you're going to get there a no-brainer. And, you know, a lot of people will say to themselves, oh, I'm just not a morning person or, oh, I'm... I always procrastinate or I always self-sabotage or, you know, they come up with these kind of justifications of why they can't. And I, I believe that's just it's a symptom of not having a clearly defined vision. If you, if you clearly spend some time and really clarify that vision of where you want to go, those sort of justifications don't prop up because you're, like, you're so certain of where you're going 
That's the, the no-brainer to actually, all right, yeah, that's the thing I need to do to get there. What about, yeah. have, you, have you ever encountered someone who just doesn't know what they want? They just, they just, they perhaps uh, just don't project that way into the future and they just yeah, don't, don't have a clear sense. Hundreds of times. Hundreds of times. And I, for people like this, I've prescribed a exercise for them. I say every day for the next seven days, when you wake up in the morning, just put a, a notebook beside your bed. This is a nice little exercise that I'll, I'll give to these people, which has, you know, some people, this has changed their lives. So, and literally gave them some sort of direction, even some idea. It's put, put a notepad beside your bed. And every morning for the next seven days, you're going to, as soon as you wake up, you're going to write in that piece of paper on that, on that page, on your notebook. My purpose is dot, dot, dot. That's the sentence then. And then for five minutes, you're going to just finish that sentence in as many ways as you can. And, you know, you can do the same thing at night, five minutes before bed. That's going to make it even more powerful. But at the very least, do it when you wake up. And then get go on with your day. Don't even think about that piece of paper until you either get to bed or until the next morning when you do it again. And, you know, some people will find that they do this exercise and they're, you know, they're writing for two minutes and then their pen stops. I'm like, that's fine. That's let your pen stop. But still ponder that question and just keep reading back over the question. My purpose is, my purpose is, dot, 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 my purpose is, and just allow yourself to just go quiet and allow whatever comes in to comes in and then write it down, finish your sentence and then go again. And if, if your pen does stop in two minutes, you sit that sit out the five minutes, that's fine, and then get on with your day. And over and over again, I've found that this exercise really helps people at least have some form, some sort of idea of what that purpose might be, you know. And a lot, and actually, in a lot of the times, it's, it's actually changed people's lives. And they go, "Oh my God, that's the best thing I've ever." I've, no one's ever told me that. You don't. You're not taught this stuff at school, you know. No, not at all. Yeah, Even man. Like my parents didn't teach me that stuff. I, I had to learn that stuff, you know. Yeah, for sure. Like the well, there's there's a few things there. There's the, there's the power of of writing. Uh, there's the power of doing something first thing in the morning when you're sort of in between different states of consciousness. And then there's the power of expressing something onto a blank piece of paper. And then there's the power mm. of of I guess like um, what you would call really focused intent, just on one on one question just not allowing yourself to deviate from that. So I think there's a lot in, in an exercise like that. It might sound like nothing. Oh, just get a blank piece of paper and just write some shit down. <laughs> but um, yeah, there's a lot of profundity to that exercise, really. Mm. Cool, man. So yeah, what, what, what sort of people do you love coaching? Personally, I love coaching people who want to be the best, <laughs> whatever it is they do. Uh, and even if they don't want to be the best of the best, that they actually just want to be better at whatever it is. And and my favorite in the whole wide world teaches sports people. I love sports, so I'm a bit biased. Yeah. Um, if someone's playing sports, then just, yeah, sports, you know, it's right up there in my hierarchy of values. It's, it's something I've, I've always had a, a strong love for since I was young. And just the team, whether it's a team sport or a single person sport, doesn't matter. There's just the competition element and the the fact that you know I told you before that one of the one of the reasons why I feel I'm here on Earth is to to be a catalyst for people realizing their full potential. 
you know, and sports is all about that. You look at the Olympic Games, it's PBs, it's personal bests, it's, you know, it's all the KPIs that are involved in the different sports is about bettering them, you know, it's about realizing more and more of that potential. So you'll find that most sports people naturally have a lean towards wanting to better themselves and become the best versions of themselves. And that really excites me. You know, sure. I'm, I'm actually standing up right now as I'm talking about it. <laughs> I was sure. sitting down and I'm just jumping up, you know. <laughs> cool, man. Cool. So, so talk to me. Like, uh, like imagine like um, you're talking to a skeptic and you're talking about Neigong and Qigong, which is basically like uh, energy cultivation practices that originated in mm. ancient China. Like, what, mm. is, what is going on, man? Okay, you're telling me that you move in a certain way and then you develop this energy? Like, I, I, don't, I don't buy it. <laughs> Um, it's, it's difficult to talk about. It's, you know, I'd be like, I'd more, more or less go, come here with me. Yeah. <laughs> Just do this, do this thing and give an experiential experience of it. It's like trying to describe blue to a blind band, you know? Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> um, so I would say come experience it, but if, as well, I'd probably just talk about the benefits and I was probably, the first thing I would do is, all right, let's, um, Let's just take a breath. <laughs> Let's just take a breath into the lower belly. You know, have a real felt experience of it. You know, deep breath through the nose into the lower stomach. You know, for right now, empty your lungs. Inhale into your lower belly. Keep inhaling. You know, put your hands on your lower belly so you're actually concentrating on that spot. And then when you exhale, feel your body filling up with energy. Feel yourself opening up and expanding. Do that a few times. And someone's going to be like, oh, I really felt that. Or I'll get them to synchronize the movement with their hands, with their breath. And I'll get them to have a real felt experience of it and be like, anything there? Mm. And, you know, is there something in that? And as well, uh, one of the reasons my sport excites me is because I have a lot of creative friends. Being in the music industry for so long, it's, you know, I'm surrounded by creatives. And a lot of my friends look at me like sport. <laughs> you serious? <laughs> it's like, why do we teach sport in school? Why don't we do like, you know, get rid of that? It's kind of, a, we don't need sport. Or, you know, that, why is there a whole section in the newspaper on sport? You know, that, uh, I, I hear this kind of conversation going on a lot. And it actually excites me to when I think of sport because, you know, because of that, that excites me. I'm like, wow, there's, there's something in that where people think of the waste where I actually look at it as, uh, an opportunity like if you look at traditionally sport if you uh do you, do you know much about sport are you, are you into yeah, sport? yeah 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 so fan. you know like you know you know about soccer and football and you know the different kind of sports and how they train yeah if you look at the, how they how they train for instance in any sporting club around the entire world football is a good one because it's a worldwide sport you you go into what's the training session so what's the first thing they do they'll they might go for a lap. They'll do laps around the oval, laps around the field, the pitch. And then they'll stretch. And then they'll start doing their, you know, kicking to each other, their drills. And then the coach will come in and talk to them about strategy and different tactics. And, you know, and then if you're going into the game, you know, the coach will have his pep talk. And he'll, there's, there's all these kind of rituals that go on in sport. And, and, I, and I've been watching this and I've, as a coach, I'm like, why is everyone doing the same thing? No one's trying anything different, you know. The whole hundreds of years has been going on, and there's no one really, no one's that 
much trying anything different. And as soon as you hear someone trying something different, you you know, like the, the Bulls of Chicago, for instance, the Chicago Bulls, who were the three-peat champions, or, you know, the six-time, five-time champions, whatever, was Michael Jordan's team and the LA Lakers. And um, you look, I've I done my research into this, and one thing that comes up, what comes up? Mindfulness. You know, these guys, these teams are being coached mindfulness, which is not really something that, even the guys who were coaching it, they couldn't never call it mindfulness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when they when they went in to teach it, they were like, like that word was just you can't say that in sport. And and that was like this one thick common thing that keeps coming up in sport where these teams are just ridiculously taking their results to a whole new level and it's it, it makes a lot of sense when you look at it because all right, we're training our physical sports people, they've got their physical bodies awesome you know they train every day that's just a given in order to get to that highest level they need to be in peak physical condition their mind needs to be at a peak kind of state as well to get to that level because it's at, at the highest level everyone's got power and it's the person who's going to have the the strongest mind the strongest self-disciplined mind and be able to focus and just do the basics right you know having their mind right and their mindset tennis is a massive one for that everyone's got the same amount of skill and level but it's the person the inner game that really that really gets people. So the minds are really highly developed. But one thing, there's like a missing piece there. There's that mindfulness, there's that so body, mind, spirit. So the spirit aspect of sport, I feel, is, is missing. It doesn't get much attention at all. And that's what stuff like mindfulness, this standing skill, this meditation, this presence, all of these things is, is missing from sport. Well, I, I look at that as a massive opportunity to start bringing it in into sports all over the world. For sure, and, man. And and you look at someone, and you look at the reach sports people have. You know, like if you look at someone like Bill Gates, for instance, most richest man in the world at one stage for a lot of the time, he he walks into a community where he's where you know in Indonesia or something, no one knows who he is. But Muhammad Ali walks in, everyone knows who he is. Michael Jordan walks in, everyone knows who he is. <clears throat> you know, the, the sports people have this immense reach. And that's exciting me again, as I told you before, 500 million people. When I start breaking down how to, how to go about that, sports people just make sense. If, yeah, man. You know, if, if, if I have the next Lionel Messi or the next, you know, the next Lionel Messi or the next Ronaldo or the next um, LeBron James coming up and, these guys are, are training with me or someone who's trained with me in, in mindfulness and, and stillness and, and meditation and things like this in Qigong. And these guys are t talking about on their Twitter accounts, hey, hey, everyone, mindfulness is where it's at. Then the reach starts becoming real, you know? Yeah, man, I think it's beginning already, right? Like you got Kobe Bryant. There's a few snowboarders who are, who are big names who are, who are really getting into the, the, the meditation via the yoga route. But uh, but yeah, mm. I think it's. I think we are. You're right. We're just at the beginning of something here. Um, and what I'm fascinated by in the sports realm is uh, not just individual uh, peak performance or individual flow, but this sense of group or collective resonance or harmony. Like what, yeah. you, you talked uh, about the I'll, Chicago I'll, Bulls. I'll, 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 I've uh, actually got something to share on that. It's um, the Collingwood Football Club, for the Australians who know what I'm talking about. Uh, this is a football team based in Melbourne, and they won the premiership, the final, the biggest prize you can win, the grand final in 2011. 
and I'm pretty sure it was 2011, correct me if I'm wrong, um, but they won the, the flag, basically, and the team of that year, in the rooms before a game, like the, like I was talking about before, how people, everything's done the same, you know, the coach gives his pep talk, everyone goes out and does their training, their, their little warm-up drills, and they get on with it. That year that they won, the coach... He did not. He had a rule where for the half an hour before the game, nobody's allowed to talk, not even him. And so every game for the 22 games of the season, 23 games including the final, that was the ritual. And so everyone half an hour before the game didn't say a word. They just sat in silence mm-hmm. and basically got in flow, got in the moment. And that year, if you if you look back at the videos, you can see them the team doing some freakish stuff like you know like throwing a handball like a no-look handball there's no way in the hell he's going to know someone's there but someone's there who's on his own team um and he's there and the group you know consciousness that kind of flock kind of that that flock consciousness that group energy was just it was palpable when especially when you when you look back at the the video you can see that. And they, I don't think they, I think they might have lost one game that year or something. It was just a ridiculous really? year that they had. Yeah. And, and then what's interesting to me is the coach changed the next year. They changed coaches and he changed the ritual. And I think they missed the finals that year, the, the next year after. Um, so again, I, I think there's something in that. You know, that's, that's exciting when you hear about stuff like that. Oh, for sure, man. Like, I, I always think of the, the Chicago Bulls in the 90s when it was Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. And, um, Didn't they win 82 games in a row or something? Yeah, it was something crazy, but they were just like, <laughs> they were such a collective unit. Like, um, mm. they were just such an amazingly cohesive team. I think this is like, uh, I've done some research into this area uh, with a friend um, up in Brisbane called Amon Wolf, who, who runs a, an organization called Collective Mind. And um, yeah, he's, he's beginning to, to do some work with, with AFL teams as well. But um, some of the premiership teams, some of the premiership football teams in England, uh, like Chelsea, were famous for having a, a mind room or a lab that players would go to afterwards and they'd basically sit in these ridiculously comfortable chairs and they'd put a headset on and they would review the game or special parts of the game that they were involved in um, and basically they would, they would be wired up to these things which would, um, like biofeedback tools, and so say, for example, the, the, the striker um, like shot and missed the goal, well, he would basically review that. He, he would mentally rehearse that process again and he'd shift his state of mind uh, before shooting and after shooting so that the next time that same situation happened, he'd be in a more, in a more optimal state of being. But um, so that stuff was again was working on the individual level. But in all my research, I can't find many people who are working on how to create a greater cohesion with teams beyond like the normal stuff, which is like let's have shared values and let's all go out and bond with each other and let's make sure we're all mm-hmm. on the same page. Like that that stuff is cool. That stuff's the basic stuff as far as I'm concerned because there's a collective field. There's some sort of crazy thing that goes on. Uh, when when people are in harmony, like you see it in musical performances, you see it in like uh, relay performances at the uh, in athletics. Uh, you see it all the time in like dancing. You see it in nature with birds and and dolphins and things like that. 
And um, mm. yeah, I think like it's going to be amazing when they start doing more research into that field. Yeah, it's going to be amazing. And, and exactly the the example that I mentioned is like a it's an example of that happening in real world. It's just you know silencing ourselves and allowing each of our you know it's almost a mastermind effect, isn't it? Where where all of our all the people in the group are you know resonating instead of just everyone listening to the coach and focusing on the coach. You know, everyone's just silence, being in the present, being in the now, and allowing their their own vibration and energy to to start harmonizing with one another's. You exactly. know, practices like this, practices like this, like exactly like you said, like flocks of fish. You know, they're moving as one, and mm. that's um, you know, the research into it is excellent, and that's actually something that I'm I'm looking to, into doing, and and in saying all of this as well, I'm saying that sports people that's the most excited I get. Like I said, anyone who's who's you know looking to better themselves and become the best at what they do, <clears throat> better at what they do in whatever field they're in, I love working with those people. Like people who want who, who aren't happy with just being mediocre or just just getting by. You know, yeah. anyone who actually wants to wants to delve deeper and and actually tap into that potential, that, that re- those reservoirs of, of potential that's inside me. Mm. That, that's too that's exciting. And, you know, for instance, I'm running a, a back-to-back pretty much. You know, there might be a week break in between, but I run a seven-week challenge, which is a mastermind of 10 people at, at a time that run through this, up to 10 people. And and it's all about that. It's actually one of the aspects, you know, it's a, it's a four-pillar system, the First and foremost, it's a, it's a Qigong challenge or a Neigong challenge where for 50 days, every day doing the Neigong and that's the challenge because that's one way that I deliver the, the daily practice, you know, getting daily practice into the world. That's how I'm going about where that. Can people, uh, where can people sign up to, to this 50-day challenge? Uh, if they go into my website, it would probably be the best, or my Instagram, which is theflow.zone on Instagram. Uh, there's a sign-up link on there on on the Instagram or theflowzone.club is the website. Cool. Yeah, I'll put links to all yeah. this stuff. But uh, yeah, I mean, I was I was going to ask you, like, in terms of what next? Like, if somebody's listening to this and they're like, okay, so I like the idea of cultivating my energy and and achieving more flow in my life through this sort of internal practice or self-mastery. But they're like, for you, it was it was you know, let's jump online and look at some videos and teach myself what's the most effective thing that somebody can do because it's not easy to find a master to follow. Mm. Um, you know, we're not all like lucky like Danielson in Karate Kid. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, like I mentioned before, if you can get 12 days off somehow, manage to do it and do it with Pashna. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I, I prescribe that to everyone and anyone, especially if it's, if you say, "Oh, I could never do that," or you know, "I'm shit, at, I'm terrible at meditation," you know, that's even more so for people like that. Or, oh, "I'm too busy for that," even more so for those kind of people. Um, better in that is is uh, how do I say? Yeah, so just start sort of yeah, start meditating, start a practice, right? Yeah. I mean, are there any books that yeah. that kicked you off on on your path, or have you? For the books, The Power of Now is an excellent book. Yeah. A New Earth. Yeah. 
that's one one that comes to mind, Eckhart Tolle. Cool. And and also Napoleon Hill's book, uh, Thinking Grow Rich. A classic. It's a, it's a, yeah, it's an excellent. I carry that book around with me everywhere. Like I've I've read it like ten times probably by now, and I'll I will continue reading it for a long time coming because because it just really drums home the fact that thoughts are real things, mm. and also the the importance of having achieved definite aim. You know, you you can't forget that. You know, that knowing where you're going and you know what it is you want is one of the most important things you can ask yourself. Chief definite aim. Cool, man. We're going to leave it there just because of time time constraints, but we could keep on chatting. Um, just for everyone listening, <laughs> well, I'm going to... Time's flying. Time's flying, bro. I know, I know. We're at the end of the show already. Um, but I'm going to put links um, on the show notes for everyone that's listening so you can tune into that. And um, hey, Zulu, thank you so much for your time and for your wisdom. Um, I know that the listeners are going to love... Um, hearing about your story and, and just the practical advice that you've given in terms of um, unleashing full potential. Um, so, yeah, I'll just, I'll just um, leave you with, with one question, man. Um, so how do you define success in your life? Success? For me, it's reaping the benefits of my best efforts. Nice. Yeah, so, so long as... Yeah, as long as I'm doing that, I'm doing my best and I'm actually reaping the benefits of, of my efforts and yeah, that is success to me. I like it. I like it, bro. Cool, my brother. Thank you so much for coming on the show and uh, yeah, I'll tune in next time. Thanks for listening to the Flow State Performance Podcast. Check us out at www.flowstateperformance.com for more inspiration to unleash your potential. 